listening to Cinema Spin. Hello, everybody. I am Matt. And I'm Jason. And welcome to this week's episode of Cinema Spin. That's right. It's Cinema Spin. The only podcast where you get the greatest of today's movies, not at this time of year, but normally. And we go back because of the retro movie machine or whatever the hell we call it. And we each week visit a movie from the past as yes, well. Yes, we are the only podcast with access to the to the randomizer, the great randomizer, the retro movie machine. Yeah. So I know there are some there, charlatans out there. There are other podcasts that that talk about new movies and compare them to old movies, right? Um, I'm looking at you, next picture, next picture show. But uh, but yeah, they don't have access that that um that hack Michael Phillips doesn't have access to the uh. uh to the retro movie machine. So, you know, and there are other, there are other, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody particular here, but I think it's, you know, some people will talk about one film for an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And for most films, that's pushing it for me. Yeah. And, um, sometimes, you know, it'd be the host talking about the entire film start to finish Mm -hmm. every beat for beat. Right. It's not my thing either. I guess I don't have the attention span for that. <laughs> if I don't have the attention span to listen, I'm not going to have the attention span to produce <laughs> to that kind of material. Actually, create that content. <laughs> so, yeah, we try to keep it. Uh, try to keep it. You know, twenty minutes ish. Succinct. Succinct, right? I um, you you get a little stressed out if we go over the twenty minute mark. <laughs> well, sometimes we give our same opinion more than once, and it's only twenty minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> we both have done that on occasion. <laughs> kind of uh, repeat ourselves. Well, I think it's your, the teacher and you that you drive home a point because right, yeah, you're trying yeah, to teach yeah, people yeah. stuff. Right, yes. <laughs> remember this. Remember this. So. Exactly. And in summation, here's here's what I already <laughs> said. Right. So, but uh, I guess we'll get into it now. Uh, Tonight's first film is what, Jason? Okay, so what we did here is we uh, went back to another movie in 2021. Uh came out towards the end of 2021 that we didn't get to at the time. This movie had the audacity to open against Spider-Man. <laughs> that seems uh, ambitious. <laughs> it does. And it seems like uh, a bad decision. Yes, it does seem like a bad bad decision. And it, um, in terms of money making, it was. <laughs> I believe you're right. A bad decision. Um, so this Sorry. the movie this week is Nightmare Alley. Uh, this came out in, in December 2021. Um, there was uh, a little bit of anticipation and buzz for this, uh, be, in large part because of uh, the director, Guillermo del Toro, who you might remember uh, from uh, directing other movies like Pan's Labyrinth and uh, Crimson Peak, uh, and most of all, The Shape of Water. Uh, which uh, was the movie about a dancing fish man that came out um, and won Best Picture a few years ago, right? So uh, he's no, and T- Del Toro is known for his uh, uh, his visual style, his visual flair, um, and uh, even when he's directing genre films, you know, horror movies and so on, uh, they always have a uh, uh, dist- a very very distinctive, beautiful look. So. Okay, so let's talk about Nightmare Alley. Uh, this is a, a, a film noir set in 1939. Um, it is actually a remake of a 1947 film, uh, also called Nightmare Alley. Uh, so uh, the movie is set in 1939, the, um, and it opens with Stan Carlyle, who's played by Bradley Cooper, burning down his house, um, having, we learn later, just killed his aging father. Uh, Stan takes a train to the end of the line where he finds a carnival, complete with Ferris wheels, psychics, a freak show with a geek and secret and a secret moonshine operation um, from a merry pair of mentalists named Zena and Pete paid, played by Tony Collette and David Strahern um, respectively. 
Stan learns that he has a, a certain gift for playing psychics, uh, not the gift of actually being able to be psychic, but a gift for conning people and uh, and getting people's confidence. Um, and they teach him all the tricks of the trade. Um, he actually steals some of the tricks of the trade, too, along the way. Um, with the help of a sinister psychiatrist, he eventually leaves the carnival. Um, and with the help of a sinister psychiatrist, played by Kate Planchette, uh, Stan begins to work uh, millionaires and high-level politicians, um, uh, cheating them out of their, uh, grifting them, conning them out of their uh, large amounts of cash by uh, telling them, uh, you know, that their dead relatives want to want to talk to them and so on. What they want to hear. Yes, telling <laughs> them what they want to hear. Um, and he eventually, he eventually though finds himself uh, grifting a very wealthy, very unstable automobile tycoon named Ezra Grindel, played by Richard Jenkins. Uh, playing against type Richard Jenkins, it seems like uh, plays the nice guy a lot, um, and he plays a. Uh, a uh, very cold-blooded person in this movie. Um, so, uh, this being film noir, uh, bad things happen. So, uh, that is the basic plot and the setup. Uh, what did you make of Nightmare Alley, Matt? Let's talk about noir for a second. Okay, I'd like to. I'm familiar with the textbook definition of noir. Mm -hmm. Does it also require that somebody wear a Stetson at some point or another? It does. It, it does. That's in, that's in the noir book. Yeah, <laughs> seems to. Right. It um, uh, the uh, yeah the 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 sartorial choices uh, of you know the the wardrobe is very important. <laughs> you Just know, like the light films that are compared to films of a very particular pro I mean post war era mm -hmm. often get described as noir. Yeah, but in, when you look at the textbook definition, I mean, it could mean almost anything, right? Yeah, theme, you know, recurring themes and yeah, there are noir, recurring themes. Yeah, themes that you find in most mainstream movies today are very common. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder if you know, whenever I hear the word noir, I'm always like, are they going to mean? Well, I mean, let's talk about let's talk about noir and what it mean, what it means for a second. So, uh, film noir was a movement, uh, especially uh, uh, sort of during and after World War II. Um, uh, sort of pioneered by a lot of uh, directors who had uh, uh, emigrated to the United immigrated to the United States uh, and uh, had a very dark outlook on life uh, ha having suffered through a lot of uh, what was going on in Europe at the time so uh, post-war Hollywood in LA is a very dark place filled with very very uh, it's a crime-ridden time right lots right. of murder murders right um, so what you see in 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 a noir movie is uh, it's so I mean, when I was when I was sort of coming up and, and uh, learning about uh, uh, movies in college, uh, really sort of st studying film, um, I was never really excited about noir because it seems to be it's less of a genre. And at the time, I thought of it more of just sort of a a bundle of of visual and thematic cliches. You know, I feel like that's kind of what it's become to a certain extent. Yeah. So what you have in noir visually, uh, you have uh, especially in the uh, when it's in the nineteen forties and fifties. Uh, you have a lot of use of light and shadow, um, a lot of very dark darks, um, a lot of uh, uh, this is where the term uh, film noir comes from. The European or the, the the French thought it was just dark, right? right. right? <laughs> um, it was not about the themes; it was about the the visual look, right? So you have a lot of use of of, of shadows. Um, thematically, uh, it's, uh, it presents a very, very cynical worldview. It prevent, it presents, uh, people who are, uh, sort of stabbing each other in the back and, and, uh, and sort of plotting against each other. In a lot of cases you get a, 
you know, the, the femme fatale, you get a woman who's trouble, whether she's causing the trouble or she's uh, bringing the, tr- you know, bringing the, the trouble. The scheme that's the destined to fail. <laughs> right. You get people, uh, ambition, you know, you, you get people who are always paying for having ambition. In a noir movie, don't dare to dream of more, <laughs> right? Because uh, if you want more money or you want more status or you want the girl or you want anything, you're going to pay, pay dearly for it, right? So how did I feel about this? Yes. Um, uh, while I think this is a film that's too long and has some problems, for, for the most part, I, I, I enjoyed this movie. Um, this movie entertained me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little worried about the running time because I was, I was concerned whether it would you know drag, and it does drag in a couple places, and, I and suppose. Yeah, I mean, we, say, we repeat ourselves, we say that every week, but I mean, it's true every week. Yeah, you know, movies does. these days just don't require any kind of discipline on the part of the director to sort of pare it down to you know i feel like i've seen two and a half three hour movies that didn't need that yeah right you know but uh it seems to be a recurring theme like you said Mm -hmm. um i thought the story was uh you know i guess from a certain point of view every time every time that i would write a criticism of the story down i kind of rethought it and kind of scribbled that out yeah because i thought well is that because i thought like um you know, I mean, it's it's pretty clearly portrayed to um, uh, the main character Stan that uh, this the power that he seeks with these with this code and this uh, that it will kind of get the best of him. Oh, of course, yes. You know, and you know, I, I wondered as he kind of slid down if that was believable. But and the fact that he was warned and and you know, I mean, he goes from being this person who won't touch alcohol to all of a sudden taking a big swig you know right sure but the very fact i mean noir movie one of the things that sort of right. turned turn me around in noir movies is that they're they're like dark fairy tales right yeah and so you have to take them at that what, what comes across as very heavy-handed uh in a a different genre movie, right in in a noir film well of course if if you know he's not a drinker in the first half you know he's going to end <laughs> right, up being right. A- <laughs> so there's like four or five moments where I kind of write something down and I'm like oh you know this is kind of but then I'm like you know that seems like it's yeah, kind yeah. of nitpicking in this yeah. movie so um for the most part I, I I liked it and have a positive review of it I thought the uh, performances were quite good um there's a lot of them yeah there's a lot of kit for for a movie that doesn't have you know that giant of a story to tell. There are a lot of characters here. Yeah, for the most part, I don't have I don't have a lot of complaints. I, I thought maybe, like I said, too long. Maybe maybe a few things didn't have to happen necessarily. Mm-hmm. A simple version of this works a little better, but uh, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I I most I mostly liked it too. I I really uh, found myself uh, found myself. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of a sucker for plot. So I find myself really enjoying the kind of the kind of overwrought machinery of of this plot where they're in the first hour sort of planting all these little seeds of like, oh, well, he's not a drinker. And, uh, <laughs> right. and uh, oh, she's got a gun in her purse. Right. And it's <laughs> like every little you know, they're planting all of these the, these things and, and it becomes sort of fun again in a different movie. You might think, oh, well, that's just uh or a different kind of movie, you would think, oh, that's just kind of bad storytelling because it's, it's it's foreshadowing so much, right? It's, you're tipping your hand. But in this, it's uh, th- there's a fun to it, you know? And in noir movies generally, there's there's a, a kind of fun to that. Um, so I was really uh, I, I was really on board with this movie. Um, uh, I especially, I thought this, all the stuff at the carnival in the first half uh, worked well, and it's clear that's, where, that's kind of where... Uh, 
uh, Del Toro's heart is. Um, in fact, he's he's clearly he yeah loves that. he's going to for I think HBO he's starting an anthology series having to do with sideshows sideshows yeah, well, yeah not right. surprised so uh, so he's he really has a uh, uh, he, that's really where his heart is he has just a gorgeous visual style this movie looks great um it doesn't look so, like a real carnival no but. no exactly <laughs> it's his uh, his visual style in a set direction. The set direction here is so perfect. It's so o- over over the top, um, sort of elaborate and, and, and meticulous that um, it competes a little. It takes away a little bit from the sort of underlying theme. I mean, even even the grime in this movie sort of glows, you know, and it, it, under the under the green light, you know. Um, so it, it it feels at times a little. Um, I almost Spielbergian in in the way that you know in Spielberg's movies uh, when he tries you know tries to do anything serious, um, they're sometimes undercut by the fact that wow that scene is just perfectly lit you know it can <laughs> right. it, it can distract you from the there, there's a scene the toward the end is actually in an alley literally in an alley uh-huh. and um, you know of course during that this earlier time period they did paint advertisements everywhere you know. Uh-huh. You know, sides of buildings or whatever. Yeah. But they're in an alley, and there's advertisements all in this alley. Uh-huh. And, you know, I thought to myself, why would you advertise in an alley? You know? <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. But it's part of what, you know. Yeah. He has an idea of what that era looked like, and he sticks to it to that, yeah. to that extent. I like this movie. I like the way it, it, it despite the fact that, that uh, there's all this fatalistic machinery kind of foreshadowing what's going to happen, it did it did sort of uh, surprise me and keep me guessing about how exactly all of this yeah, was, was going, I understand to, what going to turn there. out. Um, I didn't know anything about the plot, so the uh, the Kate Planchette character um, took me by surprise. Um, she's really great. I don't know that this... Uh, this role doesn't call for her, you know, this role calls for about 10% of her talent because she really just has to walk around looking arch. Yeah. And, and she's great at that. In fact, I think that she, uh, I think that Kate Planchette has uh, not maybe tapped it, you know, in her career as maybe uh, she should do more villains, right? Cause she, she really she ha- has, she has she's... a very, very dramatic face, you know? That's true. Um, and, and she, she's, uh, she's good at looking, she's great at looking sinister, right? And good um, at selling the other side of it too, you know, yeah. being the sinister person that's in hiding, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so I, this movie went, I liked it mostly, it went wrong for me sort of after the climax. The climax ha- happens at about, I guess at about an hour and, and 40 or 50 minutes in. Um, where they sort of resolve the kind of central tension, and then the back the, the last twenty, the last half an hour of this movie is basically just a denouement of sort of checking boxes of of and tying up loose ends. Yeah, right? you're you're the movie. The climax it, happens with like th- almost thirty minutes left in the movie, and yeah, you're like, whoa, yeah. what are we gonna do for the rest of this? Yeah, and it's it, and the um, answer was not much, not a whole lot. What they do is, and I'm, I'm maybe getting into spoiler territory here, but they do something with a Kate Blanchett character that's just it's just nuts it's just she turns out to be it's it's all wrong for this movie she turns out to have motivations that don't really make any sense and certainly don't make any sense in a in a film noir right okay um, i mean in a film noir you know sex money and revenge those <laughs> are those are your mo- Stick mo- to the those, yes those are your motivations right anything more complex or abstract than that is uh, is asking too much this isn't a dostoevsky novel we we need to we need to have very clear motivations and she ends up doing something for which you know she kind of 
talks and talks and has this big sort of speech about her her motivations and they don't really make any sense so that it's a shame that character is is wasted and my time is wasted right um in the in because it sort of step. ends up being unnecessary in the long run yeah uh for the, unnecessary and, and also we don't need here's spoiler alert we don't need to see a, a reenactment of how he killed his father right which happens in the last half hour it's enough he killed his father who cares right it, it doesn't it doesn't really well, is that, isn't that the first time though that you see that he did kill his father well, no, you, at the very beginning, he's like, uh, he's, well, see, I got the impression that he was just, that his father had passed away and he had, was just burning the body and saying goodbye to all. Oh, I, I guess, I guess I just, okay. Um, well, it just seems like a weird way to, if, if he died of natural causes, you don't put him in a, uh, you don't bury him in a, uh, the basement and then, well, set the house you know, on in, the, in the, in the, <laughs> in the great depression or whatever, I guess you just, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a rather sinister way to say goodbye, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I didn't take it. I didn't get the impression that that he was the one who actually killed his father. Okay, I, I think Oops. it's meant to be somewhat ambiguous whether he has that in him or not. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it's certainly meant to be. There is a uh, another death at his hands, and that's totally left ambiguous about what what his about right. He did it under. I, I think you're supposed to wonder what this character is really capable of at this point. Yeah. So maybe you just saw through that and saw that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just assumed that he murdered his father. I, I have a tendency to not look ahead in movies and try to figure them out as I'm going along. Mm-hmm. Yet, at the end, I figured this out pretty quick, where it was going to ultimately go. Right, right, right. right. There, the minute, the, he, the minute yeah. a carnival came back into the picture, I was like, oh, of course he's going to be. Right, you know, well, yeah. yeah right, I, you know, it, we, we, I know what you're talking knew about. knew exactly yes. where it was right. going to go. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, for I like I said, this thing isn't without a few problems here and there. And I think you 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 highlighted them a little better than I did, but uh, I I did for the most part. I enjoy I enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think if the the trimming that I hope I wish it would get would probably do away with some of the problems that you have with it. Yeah, or at yeah. least I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um. That said, I mean, another thing, something that I really liked about this movie is uh is how much of a genuine interest it takes in in uh in the con games right mm-hmm. um and it shows it does a really good job of sort of sh- showing how their cons all work right how and, and the con is just a game it's just um it's it, there's and it's done in these very sort of crude ways the the answer is never even anything particularly clever right yeah whenever you see behind um, the curtain yeah we talked about this as, with yeah. uh with uh, <laughs> in and of itself last we, year we did last we did. year right but uh but and the truth is you're right i mean the, to a, to a degree um the when when you see how the uh, how the game is done uh it, it's it's never anything that, that and maybe that that's what makes it effective in the long run to people yeah. because it is so easily done yeah. in the open you yeah yeah um, so th- this this movie really gets all the way into sort of showing us how uh, these these con games work, and uh, and that's always very that's always that's fascinating to me. Um, so uh, there's a sequence here I was sort of interested in um, the se- the sequence where Bradley Cooper is uh, kind of go is actually analyzed by Kate Blanchett's character, uh-huh. and she she has him lay down, and mm-hmm. that scene is nearly beat for beat out of right out of Silence of the Lambs. Oh yeah, yeah. It's even shot very similar, where they trade close-ups back and forth. Even some of the dialogue, like "Don't lie" or "I'll know." Mm-hmm. It, it's when um, they they get whenever like Clarice and mm-hmm. and uh, Hannibal mm-hmm. get into the quid pro quo agreement, where okay. they're going to tell each other things. Right. 
and it's basically very similar because he, you know, yeah. he wants things from her knowledge mm-hmm. about the about the mark, right? Yeah, and she wants to know about his personal life. Yeah, that's that's it's really, really very beat for beat. It's so much so, I mean, I know I know Silence of the Lambs very well because uh-huh. it was one of about five videotapes my family owned growing <laughs> up. <laughs> right. So I've seen that movie a, a, a buttload of times. Uh-huh. And uh, I picked up on it right away, so much so that I wanted to, one of the reasons I wanted to watch the original 1947 version is I wanted to know if Jonathan Demme got that sequence right, yeah. from the original. Right. But uh, that, I don't think that sequence is in the movie from what I, I – okay. he does not go to, into, into analysis with her like okay. he does. I, yeah, we uh, – um, I meant to watch uh, the 1947 version this week uh, just as sort of prep for this. And I just forgot, right? There, I, I had plenty of time this week with the snow and everything. I just, it, it slipped my I mind. I did too. I didn't really consider that it would be out there. Yeah, it, so it's we, free on YouTube. Yeah. And the YouTube print is really good. It is. Yeah. It's so, for, for a YouTube print, it's uh, amazing. So, ch- you know, check that one out too um, sometime. It was also uh, available on some sort of app called, oh man, I can't remember it, but it's some app you got to pay like two ninety nine a month for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think there, almost everything on that app is is in public domain. It was some kind of classic movie app. Yeah. It, like when you search on Roku, it comes up like, or maybe Film Noir uh, yeah, channel or it something could just, like that. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah, well, and I and I also liked how uh, spe- speaking of her as a, psychi- a psychiatrist, specific- specifically a psychoanalyst, you know, somebody, right. somebody who's uh, into Freudianism, right? Um I, I like uh, the fact that this movie sort of played on um, how close psychoanalysis is to the same thing, the same kind of getting inside of people's heads and figuring out what they want and get, getting as into, the grift yeah, itself, as, as the as the con <laughs> as the con artist, right? Um, so uh, that's interesting as well. And I and I also like how uh, this movie makes it clear that uh, a big part of the con game is, uh, re- relies on how similar we all are. Right. Yeah. Um, it's it's it relies on a lot of logic, using a lot of uh, careful reasoning. And we've and, all lost someone close. We've yes. All... We've all lost someone close. We all want certain things. We all we all think of ourselves as uh, uh, he describes this uh, this technique as the black rainbow because uh, you tell somebody about themselves, but it's something that would apply to everybody. Right. We're all uh, we all you know like to be around people, but we also like to be alone. Right, we're all very, very thoughtful, but we're also people of We've action. We all had a family right? member that we didn't always have a great relationship with. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. So a lot of in, yeah, a lot of insight into the kind of nuts and bolts uh, 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 tactics of the uh, uh, of the con game. Um, One of the things in my notes is this film brought to you by smoking cigarettes. <laughs> yes, yes, there's a lot of that. <laughs> there is a lot of smoking in this movie, but then again, in the you know well, 1939, yeah. there was a lot of smoking. Generally, I enjoyed this and uh, would recommend it. Uh, yeah, I gen- I enjoyed it and would recommend it too. What do we make? Have you heard of this? Have you heard this movie has been re-released in black and white? It's playing in theaters. The old again. Zack Snyder trick. <laughs> Zack Snyder, right? Who <laughs> says he can't get a second bite at the apple? Which piques my curiosity this much you can't see uh, you can't see me out there but i'm i'm holding my fingers close together a little bit just because the uh the colors are so vivid in this the color scheme is so very carefully as we said the the color aesthetic of this is is uh uh so carefully designed to the point of being almost overcooked you know um i'm curious if you wipe all of that away what this looks like in black and white um because you normally you normally light things differently if you uh, between if you're planning on it being yeah, black and you, white, 
I definitely think that eventually we might see that on HBO Max as yep, well. Yeah, I, I will be. Curious and I would give about it a, that. I'd give it a check out, but I don't yeah. really want to commit to watching the whole movie right off the bat. But yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's going to do it for Nightmare Alley. We'll take a quick break and be right back after this. And we are back on Cinema Spin. Our second film tonight, straight from the technological marvel that is modern computer randomization, it's The Sandlot from the year 1993. The Sandlot was directed by, I mean, household name at this point, right? David Mickey Evans, who in fact also acts as the narrator for this film. In the film, we meet Scott Smalls, played by Tom Geary, who was the new kid in town as his family has just moved into the Los Angeles suburbs. Smalls is bright, but has trouble making friends at first. But that all changes one day when he observes a group of the neighborhood kids sneaking off to a sandlot each day to practice baseball. After a lecture from his mom, played by Karen Allen, about being better about finding friends, Scott decides to be more aggressive and follows the group of boys to the sandlot one day. In an effort to just kind of blend in, he plops himself into an empty spot in the outfield and waits for something, anything to happen. It soon does, as a long pop fly is hit in his direction. The group watches as Smalls makes a rather feeble effort to catch the ball, but the real humiliation comes as he tries to throw the ball back into the infield. The other boys fall down and laugh poor Scott off the field. Enter Benny Rodriguez, played by Mike Vitar, the leader and most talented of this group of ragtag ballplayers. Benny takes Scott Smalls under his wing, gives him a new glove, ball cap, advice, and even a bit of confidence. This is enough to get Smalls quickly accepted into the group, and soon he's just another one of the boys. The rest of the movie showcases the exploits of these boys as they navigate a magical summer in the early 1960s. Magical to the narrator, at least. Well, you finally saw The Sandlot after all these years. Yeah. What'd you think? Um... So first of all, let me just say that uh, you know this is a movie that uh, had, it had, was a moderate success when it came out, made a little bit of money, um, but since then has uh, enjoyed a real, has carved out some cultural real estate. You know, the especially the the line, you know, you're killing me, Smalls, right, is sort of all uh, all over the place. And there's a lot of people I take it that have uh, uh, looked back fondly on this movie and have a lot of affection for it. I did not see that. Um, I, uh, was expecting this to be a sports movie. It's not <laughs> right. Um, not really. They, uh, yes. Uh, I was expecting, you know, you know, if I had to write down my expectations of this movie, like what I thought it was going to be about, I was before we watched it, I was, I would say, well, it's called the Sandlot. I guess <laughs> kids are going to play ball on a Sandlot and some oil tycoon or something is going to want to tear down the Sandlot. And for some reason... <laughs> The kids are going to have to. <laughs> they're going to collect win, bottle tops and win. Uh, <laughs> they're going to have to win a game against the local bullies, and somehow that's going to stop the oil the oil company, right? Um, I'm sure and that I sort of out there. and at many points during watching this movie, I kept fantasizing about that other movie that I was thinking of. Like, so how is it they could save <laughs> the Sandlot? By anyway, because this movie uh, just stinks. Uh, it's uh, it's not really a sports movie. Uh, there's no big game um he i don't know if he i don't know if the main i don't know if smalls the main character ever learns to field ball um it's not really interested in any of that uh this is really a movie about really about building uh complicated contraptions to try to uh stop the monster dog right <laughs> um that's all there is in the, the sort of back half of this movie 
Um, the rest of it is just these little episodes that um, I guess are supposed to be uh, cute or uh, entertaining, um, but they're just, they're not funny. Um, you know, th- this movie doesn't, uh, it doesn't even seem to really want to make us laugh. Um, it, it's it's uh, in terms of, in terms of its humor, there is humor there, but none of it really goes for funny. It all just sort of goes for reminding us of better movies that it's making reference to, right? For instance, Stand By Me. Boy, this movie is re- really wants to be Stand By Me from the uh, the very intrusive, pointless voiceover um, to the way the kids interact. Um, it, it's, uh, it really wants to be Stand By Me. Um, it's not... Um, yeah, I did. I didn't. <laughs> the I one thing about the Stand By Me comparison is, mm-hmm. you've got four boys that were cast in that movie. Yeah, as children. Yes, and they all became working actors, even yeah. as adults. Right. And here you've got eight or nine kids. You have well. Let's talk about this. You have nine kids, and when Smalls comes on, they're like, "Oh, well, uh, we we only have eight. We can add you to be nine. Right. Right. Now. Right. The game they're playing is not really a game. It's just it's a pe- practice. Yeah, just practice, right? So there's a, a hitter and then people fielding. They need 10 people for that. They need nine positions plus a batter. They do, but I think they're talking about their ability to play a game if need be. It just somebody. enraged me, Matt. <laughs> but the- <laughs> 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 that, I lost my train of thought on that. I, I don't, it, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So... Uh, yeah. Um, what the hell was I saying? <laughs> uh, right. So, uh, oh, about how the boys—they, you know, nine kids are cast in this, and oh, yeah, not a damn many, one of them many. Right, yeah. did anything after this for yeah, the most part. Right, yeah. So that tells you something about casting. Yeah. Um, I saw this movie uh, in the theater in the summer of '93 or whenever the hell it came out, mm-hmm. and I was mildly—I mildly liked it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of a cute movie. Um, but this is a movie where if you didn't like it, I mean, if you if you sort of liked it the first time, mm-hmm. say when because a it's second viewing of this, I've up. seen it. You know, in, I've seen it in parts in years leading up to this final viewing mm-hmm. that I had. You know, this past week, and this movie just sucks. It, yeah. it, it just <laughs> <laughs> it. I, I, there's a few things about it that are all right, but I mean the the dog thing just goes on forever. The it doesn't make thing. a lot of sense. It doesn't. Yeah, it just goes on forever. I, you know, I thought there. I thought at least it was going to lead up to like a, a, a bit like a good funny joke, mm-hmm. right? Like they're all t- totally terrified of this dog that that lives in the house adja- or in the yard adjacent to the uh, the uh, where they play, right? They can't they can't see over the fence, but every time a ball goes over there, the ball is just dead to them because th- they know this the beast, you know, chopper. Oh, I'm sorry, the the. <laughs> The monster dog lives on the other side of this fence, right? Um, so I, I thought for sure there was going to be some some bit on this, like it was going to turn out the mo- the dog is a Pomeranian or something later on in the movie, right? Sure. Instead, no, it's a big Saint Bernard, and yeah. The problem I have with the dog is it's portrayed sort of like as a giant dog at times. Yeah. You know, and I think that would be fine is if you said, okay, well, their memory of it, it's bigger than it ever it ever really was in real life. Yeah, yeah. But then. When they need it to be running around, it's just a normal St. Bernard. Yeah. You know, so there's like an inconsistency there yeah. that you can't chalk up to their memory. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think um, that before we see it 
full body uh, is sort of like tainted by their expectations. And there's all these know? sequences of like, you know, they'll, they'll try like a scheme to get the ball back and the dog will sort of attack the apparatus and the kids are just doing this react take that's just them going ah screaming uh, right, it's just yeah. 20 minutes of that right yeah and and all the stuff with the apparatus they tried all these different apparatus to to get the get the ball back right and it all just goes the same way it's working it's working it's working oh i've got the ball i've got the ball we'll hurry up and come back and then the dog attacks the apparatus and it all falls to shit you know the sequence that gets a lot of um attention in this is the sequence where the character squints Pretends to drown and gets refu- uh, rescued by oh, the Oh, and sexually lifeguard. assaults the lifeguard? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sequence. <laughs> right, yes, okay, yes. And then marries her in the end, oddly enough, because all good relationships start with that sort right. of thing. Right, yes. And she's only, you know, she's only, what, like six, I, I mean, I guess yeah. you know, later on, it doesn't make any difference. Six years, that six years doesn't make any yeah, difference. Yeah, it's no right? big deal eventually. But, but still, it's... Yeah, uh, I think the narration in this is just god awful. Oh though. god, this is the this is a voiceover. I, I'm not going to say this is the worst voiceover of all time. It's bad though, but it's. I it's, mean, you're you're not a fan of voiceovers in general. No, no, this I'm is no, the I'm nowhere pits. near as irritated by them as you are. This is but this one just bad. Yeah, it's it explains it's, what we're seeing, right? Yeah. Which is the ma- the the main the main uh, problem with voiceovers is that it's what is this radio? We can see what's happening on the screen. You won't don't believe have to what happened next. Well, we're gonna see it. Yeah, but yeah, this guy just doesn't. He, there's a lack of charisma in his voice. He has a decent voice for yeah. like radio, but not. There's no charisma to it. I. It seems like they're tr- they're trying to imitate the Richard Dreyfus voiceover from from Stand by Me. I think so. Which is not a good idea cuz Richard Dre- that that voiceover isn't well done, right? Well, and it was added even after the movie was was finished. Well, yeah, as as are, you know, as are a lot of voiceovers, right? But but the uh uh, but but they, they they try to imitate even his sort of awkward. I think that's a very awkward voiceover and there's and this tries to imitate that very the very awkward yeah. cadence of that. Okay. And um, and no, I, I meant with standby me is is that there there was no plans of a voiceover. Oh, okay. They, they impose okay. right, yeah. right. It's one of those cases where they okay. They thought they needed something um, else. Yeah, I just I just think that you know the boys are not particularly, you know, they're kind of assholes to each other at times. And I guess you know, obviously, if you've yeah. been, if you've been in a group of boys, that that's real. I think I, I mean I think the kid actors the kid actors are funny uh, at times. Um, I, if anything amused me, the the performances, the 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 little uh, uh, the little quir- physical quirks of a lot of the the characters, uh, uh, or, or a few of the, the little brother, yeah, the little the brother who's brother. always repeating his older what everything his older brother says, right, and um, you know, and the kid who says, you know, you're killing me, Smalls, right, you right. know, uh, I think that uh, in a lot of cases these uh, these young actors are funny despite the bland material. Um, yeah, if they'd have put them in more. If this movie would have been more about baseball, I think it would have been a better film. Yeah. It, I mean, why not just have Smalls learn how to play baseball? It doesn't seem like he does, right? I mean, does he? can he feel the ball by the end of this? Yeah, he can. He can? Oh, oh okay, yeah. He right. sort of, you know, he gets a hit against the other, you know, the the, yeah. the other team they're playing. The, the, the one thing that, that caught me as I watched this is, okay, the kid's not into sports, not knowing who freaking Babe Ruth is. That's just not believable. Right, right. Dude's got a candy bar named after him. Right, I know. And, and why did it have to be Babe Ruth? Why, why couldn't they all idolize, uh, you know, Willie Mays or something like that, right? Right, right. Um, and and then you could believe. I mean, it's a, 
uh, you know, it's a, a more contemporary to the time period. You know, sure. This takes place in 1962. Uh, it's more contemporary, and you could believe that a kid doesn't know who an active player is, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, yeah, but... Uh, and then, you know, let's not talk about how contrived it is that the person who owns the house and the dog is an ex-Negro League player who's right. just got autographed balls of Babe Ruth just sitting around. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> right. They, yeah. They, and hey, if you got James Earl Jones in the project, uh, maybe throw the voiceover at him. I don't know. Yeah, why? Right, right. When <laughs> I mean, we don't find out in the end, till the end who uh, narrated the uh, the movie, right? Of course, he plays a blind character, so I, you know. But uh, you mean he can't read? What are you saying? <laughs> I mean, he can't, well, he couldn't sort of recount what he was seeing out of his window with true, all the kids, true. right? So, <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you didn't like this because I, I, I really well, the the other thing about yeah the other thing about the voiceover is the way that like uh, constantly. It's constantly telling us things like, this was the worst jam we've ever been in. <laughs> it, it, you know, it he, he got me out of the, uh, uh, of the, the biggest you know, pickle the, the we'd ever Biggest really... pickle I had ever seen. Or, you know, he, he was going to show me the best thing ever, right? And it's just, it just, so it's constantly sort of priming us up for, uh, you know, I don't know, making these big promises. When in fact, there's not a whole lot that even happens in this movie. Yeah. This movie wants to be, wants to be, Stand by me so bad, yeah, that it doesn't realize that movie's already been made. <laughs> so, and the uh, the the one scene in the movie that maybe has some comic potential, right, is you know when uh, the dog chases the boy, right, right, and he chases him through the town, right, uh huh, and they can't even sort of get any of that right. They can't even sort of stick the landing on any of that, right. <laughs> Like he ends up chasing him through, you know, it's the middle of the day and there's a bunch of people watching the Wolfman at the KFC hall or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, not a theater. really. Right. It's and a... this is, they, they do this big buildup and then they just run through and there's no sort of, there's no even real earnest attempt to make any of that funny. Right. I mean, you, you write that in a script and you, th- and you know, a director thinks, okay, well, how am I going to, how am I going to make this funny? How am I going to, you know, uh, do this and have somebody react or, or, or whatever, or they're on the set. You, you, you think of ways to sort of make, but it's all totally perfunctory. It's all just, just, it, it it's, it, it's just so uninspired. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. If, if you've watched this before and you have, you have a generally, uh, positive, you know, opinion of it i say stop there <laughs> don't ever try to show it to somebody <laughs> just take it and, and and like it because i so, somehow i came up with a positive viewing experience the first time i ever saw this and every every time i've seen it since it's just been kind of like a you know knocking it off the, the small little pedestal i'd put it on you yeah. Know? yeah i just it was not fun to to, to visit again I just knew the part with the dog. I just wasn't. I just knew I hated that part from the beginning. I, mm. there, the first half of the movie is to me is still tolerable, I guess. But yeah, it's it's the where it goes that just. Yeah, I mean, the first half is really just these little episodes of being, you know, a kid, a kid of that era, and the episode should be funnier. But at least, yeah, it's far from point, amazing. It's like, heartfelt. Uh, it's anything in Stand by Me. Yeah, but it's not. It's not horrible. It's just. Yeah. Not great. Yeah, you're just sort of waiting to see where it goes, and it doesn't go anywhere. I mean, it goes because let's just—it's so dumb that they build all those contraptions anywhere, or they even know how, right? 
I mean, a lot of these contraptions, are, they're like Rube Goldberg machines, right? They're, they're <laughs> they like are. these big, uh, you know, he's like, oh, well, I had to use my erector set. Yeah, you must have had like 10 erector sets. Yeah, I was, I was, I told Sarah, I said, those pictures, those parts are not erector parts. That's like from, from my. No, right. Um, so it was just, it was like a, it's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. It right? is. It was all At that of, point, all of a sudden he has <laughs> this giant machine, you know, elaborate machine, <laughs> right? So, um, just, uh, just, just really bad. Well, as um, a service to the podcast last night, as we, as I finished watching the Sandlot, mm-hmm. I, it was right there on Disney plus. I, I clicked the button to play Sandlot the Sandlot two. two. The revenge. And let me tell you, we got about 40 seconds into that thing. Nope. And I knew that I was turning the. It, <laughs> apparently, it has to do with shooting rockets in the Sandlot instead of playing baseball. I, it, it could circle back to baseball. I somehow. mean, this movie may as well be about bla- shooting <laughs> rockets in the, in the Sandlot. For, for all the good that it does in terms of like being a sports movie. Um, they could be doing anything. They could have been playing freeze tag in the sandlot, right? <laughs> um, they they would still have to end up dealing with a dog somehow, right? So I've watched about two minutes of of the sandlot too, and as kind of good reputation as the sandlot has, or at least a following. Oh yeah, the uh, <laughs> the sequel does not <laughs> yeah. have anybody who stands up for it. So it must just be rotten. It takes place in the early seventies. I was able to to gather. And, uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, has very it's, little to do about the same. Yeah, themes. James Earl Jones, but is in, the same voiceover by the same director. Oh, God, James Earl Jones is in one of the sequels. Isn't he? He's in the sequel. He was, t- yeah, he was. Because um, the, there's a prequel too, I believe. Listed in the. Oh man. Ugh. Yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where those go, but I, yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm probably going to end my life without finding out. Not my bag. <laughs> right. Yeah, but uh, but now I can cross that movie off my list. That's yeah. That's, bit, that's a movie that I out of all I've, the movies we've watched, that's been the one I've been most familiar with going okay. into the review. So okay, yeah, we um we we try we watch movies. Uh, one of the criteria so- one of the criteria of being uh uh part of what can be randomized is that we it's a, it has to be a movie that we either haven't seen or we haven't seen recently or, or a while. Right. Yeah. yeah. If it's been 20 years since we've seen any part of it, that's that's mm-hmm. makes it fair game. I you know, I've caught this on you know, 5 minutes on TV here and there over yeah. the years. And you've done yourself a service by not. Yes. <laughs> yes. I I look back with nostalgia on before I yes on yesterday before I had seen this movie. No, I mean it's not that kind of experience, <laughs> but it's pretty harsh. Yeah, but pretty it's pretty harsh. Uh, yeah, um, dumb movie, like you say. If, if you know, if you if you have fond memories of this movie, just cherish those fond memories. And don't try to relive them. All right, well, let's cast our vision upon what next week's show might look. Okay. like. Okay. Um, as far as a new movie, um, we're going to sit and wait out the Oscar nominations. Those are coming up Tuesday, and probably pick out something nominated. That we have not seen yet, mm-hmm. as far as what we do for a new movie next week, because there's so little, so few options at, at the at the movie theaters these days. As we, as yeah, we at theaters, about. we could have so. done Moonfall. Which... We could have done Moonfall, but we didn't. <laughs> well, we didn't. Um, next week we could do um, what Death on the Nile, uh, but we're oh. not going to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you get your hopes up for a second? No, no, <laughs> okay. I. I, I mean, forgot I that guess, it was I guess, out already. I guess we could, but we're not. That's a possibility. Um, I, yeah. If that would happen, I guess it's not about you know not beyond the realm of possibility. But yeah. I wouldn't count on it. But we'll probably do something. Uh, we'd like to do more movies that are more important. You know, than Death on the Nile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. But uh, so that that's kind of the game plan for the new movie, yeah. and we're going to find out right now what the game plan is for the uh, retro movie. 
Hey, Jason. <laughs> hey, what? Do we ever do scary movies on the podcast? I think we have. Oh, well, we, we got don't... another one. Oh, yeah? 1978's Magic. Magic. Directed by Sir Richard Attenborough. <laughs> he was only Richard Attenborough when he made the movie. Okay, right. <laughs> yes. Anthony Hopkins? I, I, I have... I remember... When I was very young, teaser uh, teasers for this on TV that would scare the hell out of me. This and Alien, I, I'll never forget the the, te- the TV teaser for Alien used to make me hide behind the couch. Well, I know the I remember seeing the uh, the box art. I guess mm-hmm. and that's got a ventriloquist dummy. Yeah, this is about an evil ventriloquist, which dummy. is creepy in concept. I said, yeah, right. I mean, we're all terrified of ventriloquists, just like we're all afraid of clowns. We're all terrified of ventriloquists. <laughs> And uh, apparently the randomizer is big on Anne-Margaret because uh, she's back. Anne-Margaret is in it. Oh, okay. Anne-Margaret's back. Okay. I wonder if she's going to be flirtatious. Anyway, have something new for you next week along with Magic from 1978. So tune in and uh, we'll do the best show we can for you. Right. The best we can is good enough. We'll see you next week. Goodbye for now. Goodbye.